How you guys doing today? Doing good? Um, I hope you guys had a good week. Um, I don't know if you noticed outside, but there is a, a large castle, a large bouncy castle outside. Um, today we are having our summer kickoff. So after church, there is a barbecue and there's going to be some games. Um, there's a game that I have brought to you and it is, you can thank me later, um, it's called Can Jam and um, you'll experience outside. It's the best game possible. Um, so we have a bounce house. I think that's for the kids, um, which is disappointing. Um, when me and Kyle were in college, we were studying um, for exams and uh, we, it was maybe like 3 a.m., and it was me and Kyle and a few of our buddies, and we had probably just eaten Taco Bell, and I had drank probably a ton of coffee. And uh, one of our buddies, Chris, he goes, it's like 3 a.m., we're studying for exams the next day. He goes, hey, I have, a, I have a bounce house in the back of my truck. Do you guys want to, like, blow it up? And we're like, yes, we do. So, like, in my backyard, we blow up this bounce house, and we go outside and, like, play in it for like an hour and we created some game where we were just we went hard and so literally (laughs) we were playing this game for like an hour and I think most of us threw up afterwards like that's how intense we played in the bounce house so it's not you know it's not a good bounce house experience unless you throw up afterwards that's what I say um anyway I hope you guys had a good week um my week was weird it was a weird week. Um, it's good to be here, though. It's, it's, it's so good when you just have one of those weeks that it's just like, you're like, what's going on? This, nothing, nothing feels super great. And so it's so good to come into the house of God and, and to be with community. Um, it's huge. Um, I started my week off on Monday um, with a very legitimate fear that I was going to get blown up. Um, which is strange. I'm about to explain it to you. Um, the company I work for, uh, we lease space from um, the Federal Reserve Building. And the Federal Reserve, if you don't know, this is um, the government's bank. This is where banks keep their money. Like when banks have too much money, they go to the Federal Reserve, that's their money. So I work in a building with literally millions and millions and millions of dollars. Like in our lobby, there's a huge box with just $5 million on display. Like it's super bizarre. Um, So they protect it really well. Like it's a common occurrence for me to walk around and see guys with machine guns. And um, like you have to go through all the security to um, get into my office. And so it's kind of a hassle, but it's kind of interesting at the same time. So this week they had um, an officer appreciation week where we got to kind of explore what the officers do. So we got to take a tour of their command center and see all the cameras. We got to go to their shooting range. Um, they, they, they have a shooting range inside of the bank for them to go practice. So we were able to go in and watch them do a demonstration of shooting. And I'm just gonna be honest with you, I don't like guns. Um, I don't like guns at all. I, in fact, I wish they didn't exist. Um, you know, I'm just the kind of person who would rather like hold a kitten than a gun. Like that's like my personality. So we're there and this guy's got a shotgun and they're like shooting and um, well, they're about to start shooting and I'm, we're in such a small space and I'm just like, man, like, and I asked, I said, do, do these bullets ever like ricochet back? You know, like I was just kind of worried. And he goes, um, I said, yeah, do these ever ricochet? And his answer was, ah, he didn't answer my question, and I was just like, okay, I'm good. I'm going to stand behind this bulletproof glass. And so I stood back there, and so I was already really tense, and because I just, I don't really, guns aren't my thing. And, and so then um, the next demonstration I go to is the canine demonstration. And so we have dogs on our campus where they, um, their job is to look for explosives. 
And so I go out onto this patio, and there are two cars with all their doors open and their hoods up, and um, there are some dogs, and they're really sweet dogs, and um, they said, okay, we're going to give you six minutes to search these cars and try to find explosives. They said, there are two explosives on each one of these cars. We're going to give you six minutes. Go do your thing. So me and my buddy Troy, we are looking for these explosives, and I'm like, I'm going to find this. You know, like, this is a challenge. I'm going to beat these dogs. These are just dogs. I'm a human. I'm a smart guy. I can find these explosives. So I ser- I'm searching this car. I've got a mirror to look underneath. I'm looking through stuff. I don't see anything. Like, six minutes, I don't find anything. Um, then they take the dogs, and the dogs begin to search the car, and within 10 seconds, they locate the explosives. And so they're, they're saying explosives, you know, like they're using this term. And so I just think they're being, you know, we're just, I don't know, that's not real explosives. And so this guy says, come over here, look at this. And he like shines a light and there's this yellow stuff. And we're like, oh, we totally didn't see that. And he goes, yeah, that's, that's dynamite. And we're like, oh, haha, like, what is it really? And he's like, no, those are two sticks of dynamite. And we're just like, oh, that's so weird. Like, why do you have dynamite so close to me right now? <laughs> So then we go over to the other car, and he goes, here, let me show you what you missed. And he opens up this compartment, and he just starts pulling out these blocks, like they're square blocks, and they are blocks of C4. Um, I don't know if you guys watch, like, Die Hard or, like, any of those movies, but C4 is the stuff that, like, always explodes everything. Um, And so he starts taking these blocks, and he goes, oh, you missed this block? And he's throwing it. And he's like, and you missed this block? And you miss this block, and he's just throwing it so carelessly. And I'm already so tense because of the guns, and now there's dynamite, and now there's C4. And, and so I'm just like, seriously, that can't be real because you're just throwing that stuff. And he goes, oh, this is totally real. And he takes a block of it and just throws it at my feet as hard as he can. And I then let out a yelp, like a true yelp of terror. And I go, Ugh! And um, then all the cops are laughing at me because apparently, I don't know, C4 can't explode without, like, a specific igniter. I don't know. Anyway, I was terrified. And so I started my week off legitimately scared that I was going to get blown up. And so I hope you had a better week than I did. And I also hope you had a better week than um, the Abercrombie CEO guy. Anybody read about him? He's, the internet hates him. Um, anyway, I, didn't, I don't know why I brought him up. But, um, Okay. <laughs> We are starting a series today. We're launching our summer um, by starting a series looking at the book of James. And what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next six weeks uh, in the letter of James. And um, when the pastoral staff got together a few months ago, maybe it's a month or two ago, and we were going through what we wanted to teach about, and we planned out our teaching schedule for the year, and we all brought different ideas to the table, and the one common idea that me, Kyle, and Caleb all brought to the table was we wanted to do a series on the letter of James, and so um, obviously God was stirring something in us, and, and, and it was important for us to do that, and we thought, man, this is, all three of us wanted to do this. This is a good sign. So our goal over the next few weeks is just to really dive deep into the letter of James. And, and the truth is, if we were actually going to do the letter of James justice and work through it verse by verse and chapter by chapter, we would need at least four to five months to really do the book justice. And, and we decided we didn't really want to spend that long in James. So what we've done is we've, we've kind of dove in and we've kind of found um, six of the major themes and purposes of the letter. And so over the next six weeks, we're just going to kind of dive into those themes that are kind of underlying throughout the letter of James. And so that's our goal, is just to um, let this letter that James is writing affect us. 
deeply, uh, at, at, our, at our deepest parts, we, we want to be affected by this letter because James is writing this letter to a group of Jewish Christians, a church, and he's, and he's wanting them to mature. He's wanting them to mature. And so, so what we know about this book is, 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 is it's written by a guy named James. Um, uh, verse 1, chapter 1, it says, James, the servant of God, servant of God of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's all we get. That's all we get about this James. And so we don't really know exactly... So who is this James? And, and there's a lot of um, speculation. You know, James is, is a really common name in Scripture. There's quite a few James even within the Gospels. And so we're like, we've got some options. We've got some options of who this could be. But the general consensus is that this is most likely James the Just, Jesus' brother, Jesus' half-brother James. That's what most scholars believe this, this letter to be written by. There's some pushback on that, but the consistent consensus is that this is James, the brother of Jesus. One of the main reasons is that he just says, my name is James. Like, he's the most prominent James. He doesn't even have to say who he is. So it's like, kind of like those names like, oh, my name is Rocky. Like, you don't need a last name. Your name's Rocky. Or like, my name's Jay-Z. Like, you know who Jay-Z is. You don't have to be like, my name's Jay-Z, the rapper. Like, if you just say, hey, I'm Jay-Z, everybody knows who he is. So this is kind of like James, just like, hey, what's up? I'm James. And everyone's like, we know who you are. So this letter is most likely written between 49 AD and 62 AD. 49, there was this important council that happened, and so there's content in the letter that makes it clear that it was written after this. But also, James the Just dies in 62 AD, so we know that this letter is written sometime in about a 10-year period. And, and though the letter of James kind of starts with an epistle-like greeting when he says, James, the servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, kind of like the letters that Paul would write, it doesn't really fit into the genre of epistle. It doesn't really fit into that kind of letter. It doesn't fit that format. What this letter is, is it's, it's more of a collection of wisdom sayings. It's, it's kind of like wisdom literature, like more, more attuned to something that would have came out of the Old Testament. And then the primary theme of this book is about living out your faith. Living out faith and being a doer and not just a hearer of the word. Its purpose is to challenge the church to live out their faith through the works of love. And today what I want to do is, that right as we start this, I want to kind of do an overview of James. And I want to hit the nail on the head right away. I want to address the elephant in the room. Because when James gets brought up, James is always kind of surrounded by this controversy. It's, it's surrounded by some confusion. And, and, and from the very beginning, not everybody loves what James has to say. Like, the church has not always embraced the letter of James as an important part of the Bible. In fact, Martin Luther, the, the, the great reformer, he called the, the letter of James an epistle of straw. And he, and he wanted it to not even be included in the Bible. He thought it was in a hollow letter. Like, Martin Luther did not like what James had to say, and, and I think he just kind of had a misunderstanding of what James was actually saying. Not to say I'm smarter than Martin Luther, because if we were to sit down and talk Bible, um, it probably wouldn't go well. But he's dead, and I'm alive, and I think Martin <laughs> Luther was wrong. So, um, <laughs> deal with that. Um, so... The letter of James, it finds itself in the center of a debate. It finds itself on a debate involving justification. And we're going to get into what that is, but it's a debate about justification by faith or justification by works. But what I want to do today is I want to remove the verses. It's not justification by faith versus justification by works, or it's not works or faith. I, w I want to remove the verses. I want to remove the or. 
So the question is, is it faith or is it works? And, and my answer is yes. Is it faith or is it works? My answer is yes. You see what happens in the Christian world today, and, and honestly, it's been happening from the very beginning of the church, um, which by the way, today is um, Pentecost. It's the day that we celebrate the beginning of the church when, when Jesus ascends to heaven and the Holy Spirit comes down and, 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 and anoints the disciples and they begin to preach in power and they begin to move and, and they begin to spread the gospel and it's like the birthday of the church. And, and so today we get to celebrate that and it's actually kind of mind-blowing that 2,000 years later, we are here. We are here because of what Jesus did and the people that he gathered to himself, and and the Holy Spirit empowered these just regular, messed-up people, and they radically changed the world. And, And we sit in this room today because of that, and so today we celebrate the long, beautiful history of the church. And so it's a really amazing thing, but what's been happening from the very beginning of the church is it's this thing that I like to call theological tennis, um, and, and I don't know if you know it or not, but there's kind of like teams within the world of Christianity. Um, I mean, if you saw it when you drove down the road today, like there's, you passed probably at least a dozen different churches to get here, and, and, and you drove by a dozen different churches that all have their own doctrines, they all have their own theology, they all have their own interpretations of Scripture. Yes, we're totally united around the person of Jesus, but we're kind of separated. There's a lot of divisions in the church, and so there's kind of these teams that get created. And, and it's okay to be different, it's okay to be diverse, but what isn't okay is the tennis that happens between these teams. And, and here's, here's what I mean. Um, what happens is one side has their doctrine. One side has their belief. They've got these things that they really hold on to, and then they take scriptures that back up their argument. So they have a belief, then they go into the Bible, they find scriptures that back up their belief, and then another team has a different belief, has a different doctrine, and they go in and find scriptures that back up their belief. And so what happens is when they come together and they begin to argue, it's kind of like this theological tennis, where one team's like, free will, and the other team's like, no, predestination, or one team's like, it's by works, and the other team's like, oh, it's by faith. And so this thing happens where they're just arguing back and forth, and they're ignoring part of scripture, but they're embracing other parts. Instead of taking what scripture says to do and embrace the whole counsel of God. That's what we're trying to do here at Fathom is embrace the whole counsel of God, even when it's hard, and even when there's seemingly kind of like contradictions within Scripture. Here at Fathom, we affirm that Scripture is God-breathed, that it is inspired by God, and that God inspired men and anointed men to write the Scripture, and we affirm it as all true. So the letter of James it's, it's controversial because, well, it's, it, it's incredibly practical, and it's, it's a very straightforward letter. He's, he's writing to Jewish Christians, and he's correcting and instructing them to grow in their maturity. And maturity in the Christian life is simply to grow in greater resemblance to Jesus. The goal is to look more and more like Jesus. And so the goal of James is for his readers to begin to shape their lives, to look more like Jesus. James wants people to look more like his brother. And whenever the letter of James comes up, it brings up, in my opinion, a a really unnecessary debate. And and as I said earlier, the debate centers around this idea of justification, and uh, justification by faith or justification by works. And and so let's start from the beginning. Justification, kind of a confusing word. Maybe you're not familiar with it. So let's, let's kind of dive into what justification means. We're going to break it down. 
Justification is the doctrine or the belief that God pardons, accepts, and declares a sinner to be just, where God declares a sinner to be forgiven. And that the simple translation of this is that it's the justification is the way a sinner, a messed up person, is brought into relationship with God. And, and depending where you may be on your journey, you may not even know what I'm talking about. So we've got to kind of start at the beginning. God created man and woman. He created humanity to be in perfect relationship with himself. That's why he created us, to be in relationship with himself. And, and, and in, in the garden, in the story in Genesis, we see that this separation kind of creeps in and, and humanity chooses themselves. Chooses themselves and they choose rebellion over God and the separation creeps in and sin enters the world. And so we have an incredible problem. We've got an absolutely perfect and holy God on one hand, and then we've got an incredibly messed up, broken people that continually, to cho- continually choose themselves over God. And there's this chasm, and there really wasn't much hope of making that chasm reunited, bringing a holy God and broken people together. There was no hope, and so we, we had a problem, a holy God and broken people. But justification is how we understand how we got brought back together. And what we believe here is that God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus to come to the earth to live among us and, and to live a holy life and to die on a cross, to die on a Roman cross so that we could know God and we could be forgiven. So justification is simply how we understand our rescue. Justification is how we fix this gap between a holy God and a messed up people. And justification equals Jesus. Jesus fills in this gap between a holy God and a broken people, and he brings us together again. He calls us into the family of God. And so justification is a legal act. It's wherein God deems the sinner righteous, where God deems the sinner forgiven on the basis, not of what we do, but on Jesus' righteousness, on his work and his death on the cross. Justification, it's not a process. It's not a thing that like slowly happens, like you slowly get justified before God. Justification is a one-time act. It's complete and it's definitive. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, He meant it is finished. Your justification was bought on the cross that day. God sent his son to rescue humanity so that we could be seen as righteous, as holy, as beloved sons and daughters of God. Justification, it's mentioned roughly 220 times in the New Testament, and we believe that justification is by grace alone. We believe that it is by faith alone, and what this means is it's a gift. It's a gift for you, our pardon, our forgiveness. It's received by faith alone, trusting in Jesus Christ, our God, our Savior, and it has nothing to do with anything we do. It has nothing to do with anything we do. Salvation is not contingent on me. It's not contingent on me or you. It's contingent on Jesus. 
It's not what I do, but it's what he did through his death and burial and resurrection. It's what we celebrate today when someone's gonna, people are going to come up in here and they're going to get in this water and they're going to go down and they're going to come up. And we're celebrating the death and resurrection of Jesus and how we've been invited to be a part of that. That's what we celebrate when we baptize people. We're going to give you a chance to do that if you want to be a part of that and you want to go public with your faith. You can do that today. But it's like the confusion is, is it's, it's not through the life that we live that, that God accepts us, that if we're good enough, God will accept us. It's not the life I live, but it's through the death that he died. You guys hear that? It's not about the life we live. It's about the death that Jesus died. It's not in my own doing that I can receive justification or I can receive salvation. It's simply a gift that I can receive You see, justification by faith is simply us realizing that we and ourselves have nothing to offer, no matter how good we think we are. No matter how good we think we are. And and, and you may say, you know, I'm moral, I'm spiritual, you know, I've made a good effort, you know, I, I do a lot of good works, you know, you know, I help people. But no matter how good we may think we are, we have nothing to compare to the holiness of God. And, and you may say, you know, I do a lot of good things, I do a lot of good work. But the scripture tells us that in our best efforts, like on our very best day, like that day we make no mistakes, you know, we like rescue an orphan from getting hit by a bus, and we like save an entire like, um, I don't know, small village. Um, on your best day, you still don't compare. It, it says in Scripture that on your best day, all of your righteousness compared to God is really no better than dirty laundry. And, and honestly, that's, that's putting it really kindly. It's putting it very kindly. And Scripture tells us in our best efforts, our righteousness, it, it just doesn't add up. And I don't, I don't know if you guys have met Beckett, um, Kyle and Taryn's son. He's like one of the coolest kids I know. If you, if you haven't got to meet him, meet him. He's just a cool kid. So let's take Beckett. Like, and if you ask him to show you his muscles, I, I think he will. He's a strong kid. So let's say Beckett is the strongest kid in Fathom Kids. Like, like Beckett could beat everybody up in Fathom Kids. Beckett's very sweet. I'm so sure he's not beating up anybody. But let's say that he was the strongest kid in Fathom Kids. Very strong. Strongest kid in the room. But if you were to take him and put him in a boxing ring and put him in a boxing match against Kyle, his dad, there wouldn't even be a comparison. Kyle would just go over and knock him over. Like Beckett wouldn't even make a dent against Kyle. So Beckett may be the strongest person in Fathom Kids, but when you take him and put him in comparison to an adult, his strength isn't even going to add up. And it's the same thing. You may be the best person in this room. You may be the strongest person in this room, the most righteous and holy person in this room, but when you compare yourself to God, you're going to fall short. There's not even a comparison. Like if there was a boxing match of holiness, God would just be like, like, and you would fall down. Like that's just how it would work. There's no comparing the two. You will fall incredibly short. If you try, if you try to compare your good works to the righteousness of God. You see, we believe our works, as good as they are, they may, they they do nothing for our salvation. As good as our works are, they do nothing for our salvation. And the Apostle Paul, he works diligently throughout his letters and throughout his epistles to make this very clear. We're going to take a really brief look, and we're just going to run through some scriptures that are going to be on the screen. We're going to start with Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. He's saying it's by grace you've been saved. It's not about your works. It's a gift. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. We have peace and we're justified by faith. Romans 3.28 says this, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. We are justified by faith apart from the works of the law. It's not about keeping rules anymore. It's not about staying moral. It's not about doing, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this. It doesn't matter. It's by faith. It's by Jesus, his gift to you. Romans 4, 5 says this, And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Paul goes, as far as to say it's not about your work. It's about who you believe in justifies you. Galatians 5, 6 I've got it on the screen. For in Christ Jesus, neither for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And then Galatians 2:16 says this: Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. They are not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one is justified. No one is justified by the works of the law. And so what Paul is saying, and he's going to extreme lengths to communicate to this, this to the different churches, He's saying your salvation, your justification has nothing to do with you following the law. It has nothing to do with your works. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how many laws you keep or how holy you think you are. And and Paul's writing to a really religious society that they're they're holding on to the Jewish law to be their hope. They're they're holding on to the old way, to the law. And, and, And Paul's telling them there's no salvation through that. The law only leads to death. The law only shows you how imperfect you are because you cannot keep the law. So what Paul is writing to the churches here is he's saying, you are justified. You are loved by God. You are invited into the family of God as a son and as a daughter of Jesus by no works of your own, by no merit of your own. You are invited to the family of God simply because of the work of Jesus. And we talk about the work of Jesus. We talk about his life. We talk about his death. We talk about his resurrection. And we believe that Jesus today sits victorious over death and over sin at the right hand of the Father. And so that's what we are justified by. We are justified by faith in that Jesus. Faith in that Jesus who died for us. There's nothing that we can do. But of course, we're, we're in a series on James, and so, so what does James have to say about this? And, and, and we're going to read in James chapter 2, starting at verse 14, and um, I believe this is kind of an underlying theme for James throughout the letter. And so let's, let's, let's read what he says, because I think it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to stir some things for us, especially in comparison to what Paul just said. So chapters 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. They don't have clothes. They don't have food. Suppose, suppose you have a neighbor who doesn't have clothes or food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, 
but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So, so James here is saying, faith without action, without works, is, is dead. And, but, but, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. He says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. That's, that, that's good. That's good you believe that there's one God. But then James says, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. And then we want to focus in on verse 24. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Let me read that again. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So James is bringing this controversy, and and we've got to ask, what's happening here? Because Paul just said, it's not about your works. It's about faith alone. It's about Jesus. But then here, James just says, it's not by faith alone. So what's happening here? Are these, are these contradicting truths? Is, is James saying something completely different than Paul? And we, it's a problem. It's a, it's, it's a biblical problem, a theological problem we've got to deal with. And if we want, we could play theological tennis and we can grab our side and we can ignore the other side. But that's, that's not what I think God is calling us to do. And, and I think the question is here is, is, is James and is Paul, are they saying different things? I don't think they are. I don't think they are saying different things. You see, what I think James is saying is that works, is, it's, it's an outflow of faith. It's that, that faith that Jesus has rescued us. I think he's saying that works is an outflow of that faith, that there's no separating them. You see, works does not birth salvation. I think what James is saying is salvation births works. Our salvation, our faith in Jesus births works of love. We're going to read verse 24 again and go a little bit further. James 24 through 26, it says this. You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Faith apart from works is dead. This is what James is saying. And, and, and here's what I think he's saying. He's, this is Jesus' brother, James. He's a pastor of a church where people have known the Bible for a really long time. They've been around the Bible, and they've been in church for a while. And it, I think this, this church, what they, they, they're just living pretty crummy, mediocre Christian lives. I think this church that, that James is pastoring, that he's writing this letter to, he's, he's seeing evidence in their life where there's not a lot of fruit, and they're living mediocre Christian lives, and James is writing to kind of correct some things he sees. Maybe that sounds familiar to you, churches that are living mediocre lives. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you really were justified, and if you've really met Jesus, then you'd be regenerated, you'd be different you would have a changed heart. If you really met Jesus, he would change your heart, and then you would be doing the things that he wants you to do. You would be doing those good works. Because what you can't say is, I met Jesus and nothing happened. You can't say that. 
You can't say, I met Jesus and nothing has changed. I believe that's an impossibility. Because when James says, by, not by faith alone, what I think he's saying is when there's faith, when you have faith, when there's a genuine faith, when you've accepted the gift that Jesus has justified you, when that happens, when you experience that love and you experience that grace, there's always works that flow out of that. There's always fruit that flows out of that. So faith is never alone. Faith cannot be separated from the works because works flows out of that faith, out of that gift of salvation. Because when you meet Jesus, you change. When you meet Jesus, you change inside your heart, your mind, your desire, your will, and your passions. They change. They look differently. You live differently. And that's the big idea. Your works are different. Your life is different. And you can't say, well, I I met Jesus and nothing happened. You can't say that. We talked about it a few weeks ago when Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And if you're connected to me, if you're connected to Jesus, you will begin to bear fruit. Because if you've experienced the love and grace of Jesus, I mean, if you've really experienced it, you want to show it. You want to share it. The other day I was sitting at a coffee shop and I was just watching some people walk by and this, this guy came up and he sat down at a table and it was pretty clear that he probably didn't have a home. He probably didn't have a home and I was just, just kind of watching him. I said hey to him and tried to talk to him for a second, but he wasn't really interested in talking. And um, I just had this intense, intense feeling of the Holy Spirit. Just, I just felt God's love for this guy. You know, I just like felt it. And then I just started to like look look around San Marco, and I just saw people walking all over the place around the square, and I just had this huge, extreme weight of God's love for these people. Because I believe that when you experience Jesus, you begin to want to tell people, you want them to know how much they're loved. When you've experienced that love, when you've experienced that grace, and you've experienced that justification by faith, works begin to flow out of you. You can't stop it. Like the other day, I was getting gas, and this guy came up to me, and he was looking for some money. His name is Bradley, and he was, he was desperate to get some money because he was, he, he was trying to buy some medicine because he's HIV positive, and he's, he's terrified of getting sick. And so we just kind of chatted for a while, and, um, and hopefully I got to tell him how much Jesus loves them. Um, it was just a real short interaction, but when you experience Jesus, and then you come in contact with just people, you want that love begins to flow out of you. It's got to flow out of you. If you've experienced Jesus, you can't say nothing has happened. Like I see people everywhere I go and I'm just struck by how much God loves them. And, and I'm just, and sometimes I'm at a loss. I'm like, God, how do I, how do I let them know? Like how do, I, how do I show you? How do I show you to them? How do I show you this, this faith that you've given me, this gift that you've given me? How do I show them? How do I let works flow out of me? And, and maybe you're sitting here today and I've got you worried. And you think, oh no, man, I don't, I don't really have any works. I don't, I don't have any fruit. What does that mean? Does that mean, does that mean I really don't know Jesus? Does that, that mean I really haven't experienced that faith? And, and, and that's not it. What I, what I think what's happening in this letter is James is, in, is encouraging. He's encouraging the church. He's saying, you've experienced this faith, you've experienced Jesus, now it's time for works to start flowing out of you. Now it's time for fruit to start flowing out of you so that the world can be changed. 
Kyle's going to talk about this next week, but what James says is it's about being doers of the word, not only hearers of the word. So during the next six weeks, may you be encouraged to let works flow out of your faith. Let works flow out of you. Let you may, may you make a difference in this world because of the faith that you've received. And so if you look at your life and you take, you know, you kind of look and you see, man, I don't really, I don't feel like there's much fruit happening. I don't feel like there's much works coming out of my faith. Just begin to ask Jesus, Jesus, begin to birth fruit out of me. Show me places where I can show this faith, where I can put skin on this faith and I can make a difference for your kingdom. Just begin to pray that. I believe that God will give you opportunities because there are opportunities everywhere you go. All we got to do is open our eyes to see it. And maybe there's some of you here that have, you've been banking on your works. You've been like, you try so hard. You do this, this, and this, and you don't do this, this, and this. And so you think, if I can just do these things and stay away from these things, then God will love me. But Paul, and I believe James too, is saying that's not how it works. It doesn't matter what you do, or it doesn't matter what you do, you are loved not by what you do or what you don't do, but you are loved because God is love. And it's his nature to love you. And he accepts you into his family and he calls you sons and daughters because he is who he is, not because you are who you are. And so I think the message here today for you, and I think that God's speaking to me too, is it's time, it's time to, to rest in the fact that you're accepted and that you're loved. And it doesn't really matter what you do. I'm going to love you either way. But because you've experienced this love, now it's time for, for fruit. Now it's time for works. Now it's time for the works of love that Paul was talking about. As a church, we, we, we want to be a community that loves people. We want works to flow out of this place. We want fruit to flow out of this place. And, I, and it, it's already happening. It's already happening. And so over the next few weeks, my prayer for this community and for you guys in this room is that we just like the church that James was writing to, that we would begin to grow in maturity, that we would look more and more like Jesus, and that we would rest solely in his life, his death, and his resurrection as our justification. Justification equals Jesus, not good works. But good works flows out of our justification and out of the love that God has given us. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Sometimes we don't act like you. Sometimes we don't look like you at all. But you love us even in our messed up stuff. You love us and you call us sons and you call us daughters. And it's such a privilege. Help us to believe that. It's hard to believe sometimes. That you really love us. We can say it. We can even know it. But it's hard to believe it. So help us believe that. Help us to embrace that. And out of our embracing of your love, may works begin to flow out of us. May good things begin to flow out of us. May we begin to care about the things you care about. About the widows 
about the orphans, about the lonely, about the sick, about the prisoner. May we begin to be people that fruit is so abundant and that our works would only point to you. May our works and our fruit only point to you, not to ourselves. Keep us humble, Father. We thank you for our righteousness that comes through you and through your cross. In the strong name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Love you guys more than you know. We're going to sing some songs.